0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee Time with Crystal. I am your podcast host, Crystal Riley. My purpose is to help people live in freedom from shame, guilt, and condemnation. We are starting off by doing radical stories of forgiveness. I am excited. My profession is I'm a realtor. I'm a mother of two teenagers and a wife of almost 20 years. I have a couple pretty powerful stories of my own about radical forgiveness and how I forgave my sexual abuser from my childhood. I am so excited to get to be on this journey with all of you. I look forward to meeting you and interviewing and helping you break free from the lies, guilt, shame, and condemnation that holds us back from what we're called to do. All right. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are listening from. My name is Crystal Riley. I am your podcast host, Coffee Time with Crystal. I'm a real estate agent in Reno, Nevada, and I um, am an author, podcaster, and I am here uh, we're talking about radical forgiveness with Kate Toy, and she is a self-compassion coach. So, welcome, Kate. How are you today?
1: I'm wonderful, thank you so much, Crystal. It's lovely to be here.
0: Awesome. Um, and so today, um, I I had the pleasure of reading some of your stuff and then having a little pre-chat, and we were discussing, um, you know, self-forgiveness and shame. And so, can you tell us a little bit about your history, um? And what kind of led you into realizing those things? So we'll start with your childhood, right?
1: Great, thanks. So um, I was, well, my childhood, I was born well after my siblings. And at a very young age, my parents bought a business. I was three years old. And not knowing then, but now looking in hindsight, uh, the business became the fourth or the fifth baby. And uh, anyone that has a business, might know that it is all-consuming, it is stressful, it causes a lot of, it causes a lot, it's big. Mm-hmm. And um, now my understanding is how much of my parents' time was consumed with that. When I was only three. And um, so there's definitely shame and blame attached to um, not having parents in your house, people being working all the time, tired, and you're a child that needs, that has needs. Mm -hmm. and then um and then there is a long stretch of my life that I was a I was molested and I don't really remember when that started and I do know that for quite a while and my understanding now because I work in the realm of trauma is that I for a long time felt like there was an x on my like if something bad was going to happen it was going to happen to me if somebody was going to um Take advantage or when it was going to be me. If, and I really remember at one point in my life thinking, oh my God, is this, is this everywhere? Is this everybody? And what's wrong with me? Because I didn't see it happening to anybody. And nobody talks about it. And so shame is guilt, is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. So there was this really deep feeling of shame. Mm-hmm. Something is inherently wrong with me. And so, I re- and I also remember, um, this is becoming really clear uh, these last few years now is that I'm working deeper and deeper with trauma. I remember being quite young and hearing something like, this can't all be for naught. And it kind of gives me like that shit. strange. <laughs> And, um, and I always knew that I wanted to work as I grew. And, and then I had abusive boyfriend. And then I had um, just like, you know, kind of your textbook that now understanding my original um, separation of myself and shaming myself, why that happened that way. And there's not, I'm really not about, you know I, I have no finger to point at anybody. We're all raised by somebody who was raised by somebody who was raised by somebody. We all are part of an education system that sometimes is set up not to hold kids at center. We are all part of a society that when you look around, there's so many ways that shame and blame comes through our society, through advertisement, through social media, through Mm I mean, my goodness. When you look at our society as well, there's so many ways that it's me that's wrong. I need to change me. Right. So, um, so with love, I say that, um, I believe we all have trauma and I really believe that it's all on. and I find it really empowering that it's on us to understand what happened to us as mm-hmm. opposed to this thinking of what's wrong.
0: I like that. What's so you, you said, how do you, how do you view it? Not what's wrong with me. What was the other
1: yeah. And it's not mine. I know I've heard it before. So I'd credit whoever said it, but the, the reframe isn't what's wrong with me. The reframe is what happened to me.
0: What happened to me? I want, I'm taking notes because you're really good. <laughs> um, I think that's important, right? What happened to me? Um, what, because a lot of people that have trauma, right. And you've experienced quite a bit, you know, your parents, worked um you know to had that business and then you were probably does that leave you with feelings of like abandonment or rejection or any of those or did it right so just to help our listeners identify some of the feelings that go along with that right um and because I had parents that own a business also and married to the business if sometimes if I wanted to go spend time with my mom then and she you know she had a cot in her office so she could sleep there right it's just we had a 24 hour business it's what you do uh and so if i wanted to spend time with her then sometimes i would you know i would put two chairs together two office chairs and take a nap um so i get that that's i don't have, i don't know it's it's interesting because i don't get to talk to very many people so far that have had parents with businesses that worked all the time and they have all those feelings and so to identify those feelings that go along with it. That's really important. You shared something when we were um, talking b- prior to re- hitting record about a kindergartner teacher. Can you share that story with us?
1: That I would love to. And before I do that, I would also love to share, again, our parents had to work. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that they were doing what they were doing to provide how they could. Absolutely. And again, right? It's not about shaming anybody or blaming anyone. It is, this is what happened. This right. is reality. What did I make it mean? And it was really funny. I didn't really process honestly, until I was just talking to you in the pre-call about what might've, have that have been like for a kid growing up, in a business. but you know, your parents are married to the business.
0: Right. right. And it's okay. I mean, so like I look at like my childhood, I don't have a lot of anger and resentment and bitterness towards my childhood and people, a lot of people don't understand that. And it's, it's just, it is what it is. And it just, I can't change it. I can't fix it. It can't go back, right? You can't go in the past. So I just, I can choose to be pissed about it or I can say, you know, we had finer things in life and we got to travel and I went to private school and there was a lot of really good things that came out of it because we could afford it because my parents worked their butts off to provide for us. And that was my mom's goal was that she really wanted to provide um, more than what she had, right? And so that meant working, that's just, that's just a shift. And, and that was my circumstances. So I don't, it, it's just interesting. So, yeah. but I totally agree. It's what yeah. happened, right? It's but it, it's not what's wrong with me. It's what happened. And that's just the situation. And I think that's how, those are good words. Cause I don't think I've always understood how to put words on it. So thank you for giving me words to that. Right.
1: And we wouldn't that's- be who we are if it hadn't been that
0: way. Right. Absolutely. I wouldn't. You're exactly right. I'm going to be careful with my words today, um, <laughs> because these are <laughs> interesting topics. So, um, okay. So, if you wouldn't mind sharing about your kid, the- sure,
1: sure. So, uh, kindergarten teacher, um, it was really rough. It was really rough. I remember things like being called stupid and an idiot, and um, I remember having my being pulled to the front of the line and to go you know this these were the 70s this was very different time than what we're living in now but um like my hand squeezed uh at the front of the line and really just I was separated from my family right really kindergarten is separating a really small kid from their family and a different adult who I'm not connected to in any kind of way has a lot of control right over me Right. I, remember, um, I remember seeing things like uh, she would be different when the principal would come in. Wow. Like her hair would totally change. And I remember crying every day before I had to go. Every day. Every day I remember crying. Wow. And I remember my mom asking, you know, what was wrong? And I knew I couldn't. Say because I don't know why I couldn't say, but I couldn't say. I didn't know if I was afraid. I don't, I don't know, but I remember it. Um, I remember I had loved preschool, like loved it, like wanted to live there. And it was something completely different. And then when we were sharing was as an adult going in to advocate for my own kid, mm-hmm. I was so aware of how small I would feel when I would go into the school or how my head couldn't get words to my throat like it would be you know a good hour later or two and I'd be like oh my goodness why didn't I say this right and or uh, my stomach would clen- and yeah. and a thing I, a question that I ask my own clients and I ask myself really is is this stomach clenching up a new sensation or is this really familiar uh, well if this is really familiar it's really not about what's happening in front of me my body's remembering something.
0: Mm, that's important. I mean, that's a good f- thing for our listeners to uh, pay attention to, so that they can identify it. Because I think identifying things and, and recognizing your feelings—that's it's huge. And I don't know; a lot of people don't understand that, right?
1: And there's this, you know, saying, "If you can feel it, you can heal it. Mm-hmm. If you can tame it." Can tame it. Mm-hmm. I do find that we're a society, and again you know, the blanket term of society. So you give yourself self-compassion mm-hmm. that it's the society of a real disconnect from our bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know what goes on in my body. I know my life from my neck up. I hear that often. Or I'm like, what are you aware of in your body? And sometimes it's, if we haven't gone slowly enough or patiently enough, um, it's scary to go to the body. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think you just touched on something and i don't know so do you help people recognize when they have you know like the physical ailments or different diseases or whatever and get to the the root of those and what you do do that work oh, that is so fascinating because i love learning about that stuff and i'm um and it's interesting so like you know if you have a hip problem right it means you have a fear of moving forward I've had hip problems. Um, so, and I kind of dug into it and it's just really neat. And once you heal, whatever it is, that's attached to that or whatever you recognize it, and then you heal from that, it, you just move forward. And it's really neat. Like back issues could have to do with not feeling supported or they could have to do with, um, finances, right. Different things. So I think that's really fascinating. So you'd be a really good resource to, for me to help people, um, you know, to refer to. So that's awesome. Um,
1: and I do want to show there's brilliance in that field. Like, I love Peter Levine's work. He's written um, so many of his books, but he's written like Waking the Tiger. He is written, um, I have quite a few of his upstairs, but he is uh, an absolutely brilliant man that totally understands the somatic, what's happening. And, and his work is called Somatic Experiencing. I've
0: never heard of it, I'm writing it down.
1: Brilliant. And then I'd also share Bessel van who wrote um, The Body Keeps the Score.
0: The Body Keeps the Score.
1: Right. And he worked a lot with PTSD and also what is stored in the body. And then uh, my teacher Gabor's work, his book is When the Body Says No. And he really, um, you know, when women are always, uh, one example is uh, by what you do in your life, uh, people pleasing, always say, et cetera, et cetera. Um, his research shows what, like neurobiological diseases,
0: are related. Wow, and that's when the body says no.
1: Yes, gabber mate. Okay,
0: awesome. That's um, so that's really fascinating. Okay, so let's, you know, ke- go back to um. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh. You shared about the shame and self-loathing, and you take people from self-loathing to self loving. I wrote loathing again. I'm really good at notes. Um, so can you, can you describe that set, that feeling of shame that you were feeling and what that space looked like? Cause you've kind of given a little bit of stories to it. Um, just describe to the listeners and then we'll talk about how you recognized it and then got out of it, right? Cause that's a process.
1: <laughs> it is a process. And I would think, uh, when I think back, I, from, for like my youth and teens and even twenties, early twenties, it's really hard to think of a time that there wasn't that part of me that was really shaming me all the time, mm-hmm. uh, shaming the way I looked, shaming the words that I said, shaming, uh, I mean, pretty much everything, right. And really holding me back from things that I really wanted to do risks that I wanted to take ways to put myself out there. I love to sing. Never, ever would it.
0: I really so what me. kinds of things did you say to yourself that, w- that you identify that as shame? Like what would be a, a self-statement?
1: Uh well, hating on That's my body. hating so the I don't feel
0: pretty. I don't I'm
1: fat or fat, you're stupid, you're ugly. Why do you think anybody would want to hang out with you? Um and then I said I was with somebody who was pretty okay. very abusive actually, and um, justifying <clears throat> justifying his actions, right? This is what you deserve. Of course this is what. um, And and really what I, and I don't know this is, I I don't know that there's any research behind this or anything, but um, I was talking with my son who's in his uh, late teens and we were talking about uh, shame and blame and and me with this person. And in a weird way, it was like this person could actually see that through me this person, that this abusive person, the, all the crap he would say, it felt like a part of me was actually being seen, and it was a part of me that.
0: Oh, it cut out a part of you being seen, and what?
1: And the part that really hated me. Okay. This part that oh, like so it
0: I, confirmed I all of the self things I, you thought and because you were with an abusive person it just confirmed it over and over and over again
1: all that's really
0: powerful right because how many people when men or women right because women can be abusive too, um uh, get into these relationships and then they stay in them because they don't they feel like that is what they deserve right and it's it's very powerful to to get to a place to be able to recognize that that's just your confirmation like that's that's wow.
1: And that's just recent, That just kind of all clicked together. Right? It definitely wasn't back in my, I think I was only my own late teens when I was a But it really, because I understand the original trauma comes from, you know, my childhood trauma, not being seen, not being heard and your reality, not being, heard. right? That like a child that, you know, there's a monster under my bed. I'm scared. And it's like, there's nothing under your bed. Right. You're fine. Go to bed. As opposed to, oh my goodness, what can we do?
0: Right. How Let's check out this monster. Let's get rid of it. Right.
1: What, what do you need? What do you need from me? Do I need to sleep here tonight? What can I do for you?
0: Wow. So if I never I had... even thought about that. Hmm. Okay. That's pretty, that's so powerful. Like as parents, how we talk to our children that makes them not feel hurt and validated, even though it's little things like the monsters under the bed, that's dumb, right? I mean, it's not, it's a valid feeling because it's their feeling kind of leads into what we were talking about prior to the recording of um you know you have a perception I have a perception and you know whatever and so we could have the same we could be in the same situation and have two different perceptions right and it's it's and two different realities mm-hmm. yeah and what are we doing to our children I'm gonna have to think about maybe I need to go back and apologize to my children for some of the things I've done <laughs>
1: right like well uh, I realize- uh, I realized for my kids that I really was what I call toxic positivity, right? Like they would express a fear, 15, 16 years old, tell me, you know, this doesn't, the state of the world. And I would say, yeah, but look at where we live. We have a house, we have we have food in our fridge. We have the, and I wasn't able, because I wasn't able to be with that fear in myself at the time and um you know it was probably a lot it was probably longer than 2 years ago i'm thinking you know 4 or 5 but i couldn't be with that fear because i didn't want my kids to feel fear because i vowed if i'm bringing people onto the planet i'm going to keep them right. that's a really huge responsibility as a parent to try to think that you can keep the world safe for your kids i can't yeah. keep the world safe
0: there's no control of the world i mean we have to be able to allow our children to have They have to be able to get hurt, right? I mean, they have to experience things. You can't wrap them in bubble wrap. That's my joke. can't wrap my kids in bubble wrap. So I have a little bit different way of parenting that a lot of people don't, aren't maybe in alignment with, Um, because I'm protective, but I'm safely protected. (laughs) You know, there's a fine line, you know, I'm not a helicopter parent, but I do care. Um, So,
1: and my flip was, I can't keep the world safe, but I can give my kids all the tools. Mm-hmm. Sure that they're safe in this world mm-hmm. so what I realized was I couldn't be with the fear of an unsafe world so I somewhere in me was like if I just get them over to focus on all the things that are great right then they won't have fear but really what they needed was for me to be able to see hear, and uh, validate the reality that yeah, it is scary wow can we sit in that can you tell me how you're feeling Right. And you don't leave them in that place. Of course, people feel heard and mm-hmm. people, I trust that people know themselves better than anybody else on this planet. Mm-hmm. Crystal, you know, yourself better than anybody. And if I sit with you in that space of allowing you to be heard, your own self resilience and resources are going to come up and, you know, but I know I'm going to be okay because
0: hmm Wow, that's really, really powerful. Imagine if more people could identify that. This world would be a really different place. (laughs) Um, So let's see. Um, How did you, because you recognized it, like how long did it take you to recognize that you were living in in this space? Was there some occurrence that happened or... Living in a
1: space of self-loathing.
0: Self-loathing, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I started backpacking and I backpack, uh, you know, I'd backpack and then come home and make enough money to go back. And I did that for about six years. And I got to do amazing things and see amazing places. And I remember being in Australia and feeling like I have never felt in my life, like so empowered, so happy, so full of self-efficacy and joy. And um, I ran into some people that I knew from childhood they weren't my age but they're quite a bit older than me and uh I have no idea why I I and I never shared what had happened in my past with anybody but um these people have a person in common and I heard it happened. and you what it's cutting I've alerted out to them about my childhood mm-hmm. I had been drinking and I have no idea why I did and I did and they um Said I was a liar and didn't accept it and um, really shame me. Like, why would you bring that into here? Is this why we got like it was awful? It was awful. Right. And I feel it in my stomach actually as I'm sharing it with you. Thank and you um, when I went that. back to the place we were staying. Like I had a hostel, mm-hmm. like I was a, a a different kind of a hostel, like a house. And I had great friends there who had met backpacking. And I remember. The next morning when I woke up, the what came through so clearly was wherever you go, there you are. And I was like, okay, I still have work to do and I can't run because wherever I go, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So if I really want to be free, like really free, it's about me understanding me. And then that started my work in understanding self. And that was like a couple decades ago. And um, things were different then. Therapy looked different. Approaches were different. And so I start. I, I read every self help book you could probably imagine. And I remember um, re- and yoga and meditation. And I really I started meditating at eleven. And I would share that saved my life. You yeah. would. I would share that that saved my life. Nice. Like if I hadn't started meditating at, I don't know that I'd be on the planet. Yeah. And, um, and then I started all the self-help books and then I was, I yoga and all of the things and it really got me, it kept me alive. It got me to where, you know, I, I have a partner. I think we've been together 26 years. We have three amazing kids and um, maybe eight years ago, I was at a point where I would realize I'm triggered but I'm aware I'm triggered. So this has got to be as good as it gets. <laughs> and then um, I love the work of Gabor Mate. And then he developed this approach called compassionate inquiry. And I had also before that been going to school um, as a mindfulness somatic wellness coach. And I love that world of mindfulness. I love the world of understanding your body. Um, that was something new to me about understanding the somatic world. And um and then just what wellness look like. And then also coaching is, coaching is really about trusting that my client knows. I, nobody comes to me and I give them advice. That's mm-hmm. not what it's about at all. It's really about asking questions, offering reframes, mm-hmm. um, really coming up, you know, connecting with those parts of you that have been here before. And what have you done in the past? Or what if we ask it this way? Or is this a possibility? Could I get curious about that? Right, And so then, um so then, when self-compassion or compassionate inquiry came about, um, then, then I learned this whole new technique of going all the way back and sitting with myself as a young child. And what would that feel like to be three years old? Nope, I, I cut out again. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wait, wait. What would it be like? Can you hear me now? I can, yes. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I know why, because my mic isn't plugged. So what it would be like to, um, what is it like to sit with a two-year-old that's feeling alone? Mm -hmm. Can you see how small two is? Can you see uh, the size difference between an adult and a child? Like really looking, because what happens I find is we look through our, at our past through the eyes we have now, right? So we could say things like, it wasn't that bad. Or it wasn't, um, you know, it, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as so-and-so had it, as opposed to, but what was it like to be two? Mm-hmm. And that happens. Right. I don't think adults, most adults don't
0: are not able to put themselves in that position to think of how a child would respond or feel. And they just think, you're fine. Dust it off, rub some dirt on it, shake it off. You know whatever the stuff is, um, and so I know with my kids, I've done. I do really try to work with them on recognizing their feelings and like, okay, I hear you, but or whatever you know. I listen. I do listen to them, and I've learned to ask them those questions so that they do because I, I as a kid, I didn't feel hurt. I didn't feel valued. My, you know, very my household was a very different household, um, and so. There was not, there was no respect or value or anything like that. And so I've I've done really, I've really worked at having my kids, especially my daughter being, she's very strong-willed. I love her to death and man, she has got a voice. Let me tell you. And so it worked. (laughs) Yay, did that. Um, But there's gotta be a balance, but it's important to help your children identify, you know, what they're feeling,
1: right? So that they can learn to cope with it. Nope. And this work, it, can you hear me? I can. Great. And this work is about going back and understanding crystal at two. Mm-hmm. Right. And understanding. And then, and then for me, um, being able to wrap that up with self compassion mm-hmm. has been what really I have found in the last year and a half or so has really um, almost accelerated my healing and what I see happen for my clients. Cause we're really never, and that's the work of Christian Neff and Chris Germer. And I mean, we're not taught to be self-compassionate. We're really taught to think of the other person, take the high road, look at the situation that they're in. And uh, a really good friend of mine who um, also is a wonderful author, uh, Monique, one day I was talking to her about um, what was going on with my child in school, right? Like, And I said, right, but this person that continually bullies him, I said, he has a lot going on at home, right? His the his parents is this and she so beautifully said and that has nothing to do with your kid right and I think of how many times we kind of make it about our kid to be take the high road where I'm sorry right I'm sorry this little person that you're going through this but you can't treat others people like this right right that's an interesting topic so with
0: kids with bullies because. Um, if our child was being bullied, we can't necessarily go to the other person or the other parent and say, your kid's bullying my kid because there usually is a lot of stuff. I mean, you can, right? You can, it's not well-received. I've, right, <laughs> <laughs> can, <laughs> but it's not well-received. So then it's, it's, that's a fine line, right? And then how do you teach your children? I mean, I would love, I, I mentor a girl too and um, she gets bullied quite frequently. And so I'm teaching her, you know, I'm, I'm working with her on identifying her feelings. How does it make her feel thing and things like that. But there's not a lot of control. I can't call up with a mom or the dad and say, Hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, have a talk with your kid. He's mean or she's mean or whatever. Um, is there any tips? And I know we're totally off topic, but is there any tips that you could give on how to, to deal with that? Because there's a lot of kids. Bullying is a huge issue right now in school.
1: Mm -hmm. And what my teaching has taught me, um, and this is the work of compassionate inquiry, is who does this girl come and tell? Because for me, I didn't tell anybody what was going on Mm -hmm. for myself as a child. And when I found out things, and this really also is really what encouraged me to um, pursue learning compassionate inquiry was some big things that happened to my kids and they didn't come and tell me. And I was really curious why I wasn't the safe place for them to come and tell. And is it because I went right to toxic positivity? Was mm-hmm. it because I didn't value what they were like? I didn't um, validate their reality. Did I really hear them and re- did I really see them or did I tell them, Hey, let's look at what that kid's going through. Right. Right. That's and so, awesome. and so if their bond with me, right. Cause Gabor also talks about attachment versus authenticity. So if a child has to choose between attachment and authenticity, Attachment wins every single time. Hmm. So if um if I say, you know, you're too loud, don't act like that around me, them being authentic, they're going to adapt to keep attached. Interesting. Right. And I think of how many adults still do that. Yeah. Right. They I, I think of me in the past when my kids really want me to do something for them and I'm exhausted, but I want to stay attached. So instead of being authentic and say, you know what? I'm really tired. I'm sorry. It's going to be a no. Okay. I'll do it. Right. So for our kids, right. To think about, am I, am, and every day I check in, am I making my kid choose attachment over authenticity? That's, a,
0: that's that. powerful. Right? right. Really powerful.
1: And so for this girl, um, and I mean, being youth is very different than being an adult and doing your work. Because as an adult, you know that you are in control. Hmm. Right? I'm in control of what happens in this house. I I know my house is safe. Mm-hmm. I know that if things are out of whack here, it's on me to align them. Right. And a youth or a child, they need their parents. That's how they survive. Mm-hmm. Right? How do they step into their authenticity when their own, their real survival is about, it depends on staying attached.
0: Wow. That's really powerful. Um, Thank you. Um, And for time's sake, um, I I think we could just go on and on and on because there's so, you have so much good information and I really appreciate it. Do you want to leave our listeners with um, any kind of tidbits of how, you know, any tangible steps that they could take to get from that self-loathing to self loving
1: Sure. Um, a really great practice. This is mindfulness, self-compassion. Again, I shared who developed it and created it. And there's lots of resources um, is to really take note of how you speak to yourself. Mm. Take note of how you speak to yourself and just become aware of like, do I shame myself? Do I blame myself? The, there's, and and what I really love, I was doing a workshop um a couple of weeks ago and somebody in the audience said, you know, if there's a name for it, you're not alone, right? So sometimes we think, and there's, um, yeah. So I would really take note of how you speak to yourself and know that you're not alone in that. And that uh, uh, Stats for America, when they did research, 78% of people say that they're more compassionate to other people than they are to themselves. So it is, and I'd also share it's practice. Like I really believe life is practice. Like I really believe life is a practice. And then self-compassion can be part of that practice. And just look at the words you use, um, that you use when you talk to yourself. And if somebody spoke to you that way, would you hang around with them? Or if you spoke to somebody else that way, would they hang around with you? And then just very gently with self-compassion and love, just see if you can start to shift that conversation as to what's happening internally. I think that is is a great place to start hmm There's
0: so much, I mean, we could talk for a long time about this. Yes. <laughs> There's self-healing and that journey is incredible. And, um, so I thank you. I have learned a lot from you and I have a lot of questions, but that's gotta be maybe for another episode in the future. Um, so I appreciate you Kate. Thank you. And you are, um, a self-compassion coach. And so we'll put your information in our, um, uh, whatever it's called. I don't remember. So in our stuff that goes out and I appreciate
1: your time and thank you. Thank you, Crystal. I appreciate you very much. And thank you for what you're doing for the world. Yeah, thank you.
0: It's, it's yeah. For the world. That's really big. I'm I'll have to process that one. <laughs> All right. Thank you.